Amen. I'm so excited to kick off a brand new series uh, this morning. We're calling it Legendary. Some of you received cards last week uh, to hand out to friends. We have more of those at the Info Center. I want to just encourage you to use those, uh, again, as a resource to just invite somebody to come and to be a part of this series. Legendary. Have you ever noticed uh, lately the obsession our culture has with superheroes? I mean, come on, I, I, was, uh, I was driving back uh, last Sunday from New Hampshire, and, you know, long road trips, you start talking about random things, and somebody in the car said, hey, did you see the last Spider-Man movie? And then one of the young adults in the back said, no, are you kidding me? There's like 12 of them. <laughs> so sick of Spider-Man movies. And so I got curious, so I pulled up my phone and Googled it, and they weren't far off. There's six Spider-Man movies that have been made since 2002. And the seventh one is coming out this summer. So if you're a Spider-Man fan, that's good news. But that's just one superhero. But have you noticed the obsession that we have with superheroes in our culture? And can I just tell you, when it comes to legendary people, larger-than-life characters, the Bible is full of them. Amen? Amen? The Bible is absolutely full of men and women who changed the course of history with their life. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at some of these people as we ramp up towards Easter Sunday and we talk about the greatest of all time. Amen. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at their lives. And when it comes to people that are legendary, you may have to back this down a little bit. We're getting a ring. When it comes to people that are legendary, there's nobody that I can think of that's more legendary in the Bible than Noah. I mean, there's a lot of great characters, but not too many of them can say like Noah, I literally saved the human race. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty legendary, right? I mean, you win if you can say that. I mean, there's a few, there's a short list. There's Noah, there's Superman, there's Jesus. That's it. So, I mean, pretty short list of characters. Here's my prayer for us as we begin this series today. Here's my hope, not just that you would uh, enjoy a little biblical history as we study some of these legendary characters and, and look at their life, but my prayer and my challenge is that you would, would live an unforgettable life, that you would live an unforgettable life. I read a statement from one of our, our missionaries just this week. He said this, he said, one person might not be able to change the whole world, but he or she can change the world for one person. I want to challenge you to be legendary. Be a legendary parent. You might not save the whole world, but you can change the whole world for one person. Be a, a legendary student. Can I get an amen from the parents on that one, maybe? All right. <laughs> I mean, come on, forget employee of the month, okay? Too low of a goal. Be legendary. I mean, just set the standards high for what God wants to do. And I'm going to give you the key right here at the beginning of the message, in case you got to leave early, all right? Genesis chapter 6, we're going to Genesis, but as you're finding your way there, I want to just show you Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. If you want to live a legendary life, here's the key. Look at this. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So can we all just agree right now to just do that? I mean, if we could just replace Noah's name with our names, 
We'll just pray and dismiss and we'll beat all the Baptists to the restaurant today. I mean, how's that sound? Can we just, let's just make it easy today. I mean, come on, that's a pretty incredible verse, right? Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him to do. So as you open up to Genesis chapter six with me, Noah's story begins when the human race is only about a thousand years old. And I want to tell you three things that are legendary. I mean, this is the stuff of legends in the life of Noah. And the first one is this. I want to talk about Noah's character. Look with me in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. It says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Can we just take pause for a moment and, and just let your imagination run a little bit. Don't forget you're in church, but just a little bit and think about how evil this world must have been. I mean, sometimes we get a little bit of shock when we see what happens in our world today. But how many of you know God is still gracious? Amen. God's not flooding the earth today. And so when we understand that, how evil how wicked must this world have been for God to say these words? We're only about a thousand years into the uh, human uh, race. And, and God says, I regret that I have made them. That's huge. And that means the next verse is even more significant. Verse eight says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of of the Lord. We don't do this often enough. Can we all just read that verse out loud together? Here we go. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I am thankful there is a but Noah in my Bible. If you know the story, you know if there's not a but Noah, we're not here today. I mean, we just read how God felt about humanity. He was done. He was like, you know what? Let's go back to the drawing board. I'm just going to scrap the whole deal. I'm done. It's too evil. It's too wicked. There's been too much going on. We're just going to scrap the whole thing. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Can I just say today that the true people of God are always going to be the exception to the culture and not the expression of the culture? The true people of God are always going to be the exception. They're always, that's what makes us exceptional. I mean, if you want to be legendary, if you want to be exceptional, you got to be the exception to the culture. And so the logic that says everybody's doing it doesn't apply to the people of God. Amen. The, the, the mentality that says it's just the way the world is. Well, it might be, but God said you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And so we can't follow that line of thinking that says, well, it just, it just doesn't work in 2019 like it used to. 
I mean, everyone today is, is lashing out with their words. Everyone is getting drunk on the weekend. I mean, everybody, it seems, is, is celebrating alternate lifestyles. I mean, it's 2019. It's just the way the world is. Everybody is, is embracing the legalization of abortion now because, because it's what we've advanced to. Everybody is, is over-medicating with prescription drugs. It's, it's the world we live in. Is anybody listening this morning? But Noah, whatever you can fit in that box that says this is just the way it is, if it's contrary to the word of God, you can follow that line with but Noah. See, no one ever stood out until they were first willing to stand up. And if I can just say prophetically to the, to the church at large today, it is time that the people of God begin to stand up again. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about a bully pulpit. I'm not talking about uh, just you know, being uh, legalistic. I'm talking about being committed to the authoritative word of God. It is time that the church be the exception to the culture and not an expression of the culture. Amen. 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 Talking about godly character. Noah had character in a godless culture. I shared a verse yesterday at our men's breakfast. I, I want to just read, read it again to you today. It said in first, or second Peter, rather, chapter 1, verse 3. Here, here's Peter's admonition to the church, to us today. He said, his divine power, that's Jesus, divine power that lives in us by his spirit. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Just let that minister to your heart today. It's one of the reasons you're in church on a Sunday morning because, because of God's glory and his goodness, he has given us everything we need for a godly life. But the way that we harness that power is through our knowledge of him. That's why our Bibles are open. That's why some of us are taking notes. That's why some of you are going to go back this week and listen to the podcast, even though you heard it once already. Why? Because you understand that it's my understanding. It's the knowledge that I receive of him that resources me with everything I need for a godly life. Paul said it like this. I, I love the way Paul said it in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. He said, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. The older translation says, we have no obligation to the sinful nature. That's true today. In 2019, it is as true today for us as it was in Noah's day. Let me read the next verse to you. Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I mean, you know, it's so easy for us to, to make excuses, all of us. I mean, you think it's hard to live a, a godly, righteous life in 2019? Let's just for a moment put ourselves in the context of Genesis chapter 6. This is an evil culture where literally, not metaphorically, this is not hyperbole, literally, no one did right but Noah. But no one, no one, 
So verse 9 says this. Verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. What an epitaph, right? I mean, wouldn't you love that to be said about you? He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Can I just speak to the young people for just a moment in the room? Don't make excuses for a godless lifestyle. Don't make excuses and say, we we can't live like that in 2019. Paul told Timothy, who was a young adult, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. No, do the opposite. Set the example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't make the excuses that, that I'm the only one. Be the exception, not the expression of the culture. And when it comes to us as parents, we have, to, we have to be attentive to this reality that while Noah was living in this culture where no one did right and everyone did evil, he was raising three sons. Verse 10 tells us he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And I can just imagine in, in, a, in a culture that is as godless as this one was, I can just picture his sons coming to him almost on a daily basis. Basis. Oh, dad, why can't we do that? Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else's parents are letting them go. Everybody else's parents are letting them do that. Everybody else's parents are. And and, and I can just hear Noah in my mind. He's saying, listen, everybody else's parents may be saying yes, but Noah. (laughs) But Noah. (laughs) We're not going to be. Followers of the culture. We're not going to be a product of the culture. What we need to tell our sons and daughters is that God has given them a voice to not be a product of the culture, but to be a prophet to the culture. Why live your life like an echo when you can be a voice? And so Noah set standards and he lived according to the word of God. And he raised three sons in a God, a literal God-forsaken culture. Can I just challenge us, parents? Don't, don't settle for raising your kids as a product of the culture. They're called to be more. They're prophets, they're priests, they're kings. They're set apart for a great purpose. May it be said of us what it's been said of Noah. And I've been praying this all this week in verse 8 and 9. But we found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We were righteous men and women, blameless among the people of our time. And we walked faithfully with God. God, help us to be men and women and young people of character, legendary character. Let me tell you secondly about Noah's obedience. Because as you may know, God asked Noah to do something pretty extraordinary. God asked Noah to build an ark. Look with me in verse 13. It says, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark 
of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I don't know if you've read this before or, or thought about the scope of this project, but this is a huge assignment. I mean, you, you want to talk about a, a responsibility. Now, I, I don't know how often you measure things in cubits, but a cubit was basically a measurement from your elbow to your fingertip. It's about 18 inches long. And so to put it in more familiar terms, this ark that Noah was supposed to build was going to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. That's one and a half times the length of a football field. It's one and a half million cubic feet or the capacity of 522 railroad cars. That's a big project. I don't know if you noticed that before, but you know what else I noticed about it? It's just almost alarming when you read the statement in verse 15 that God says, this is how you are to build it. And then Noah gets three verses. That, that's it. I just read the whole blueprint to you. I mean, is that not like daunting? I mean, I would need three verses if God called me to build a birdhouse. Like, like lay it out. I mean, give me the details. He gets three verses. I mean, I don't know if you're like reading through the Bible in a year and, and you've gotten to the, the tabernacle, but come on. I mean, Moses got pages and pages and pages of instructions. And when David was told to build the temple, he got detailed blueprints. Here Noah is not building a church. He's building an ark that's going to save the human race and the animal kingdom. And he gets three verses. That's amazing. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for Noah to receive this instruction from God. And I'm not just talking about the, the size and the scope of the building project. Think about the implications and the weight that he must have felt that go along with what God said would happen when he built the ark. Because God was not unclear. Look with me at verse 17. Look at what God told him. Still in Genesis 6. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Can you imagine those words ringing in your mind as you're building, as you're preparing, as you're trying to follow these very simple instructions? Everything on the earth will perish. Verse 18, God says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. 
Everything we've just read tells us what Noah got on day one. Day one, God speaks to Noah and he gives him everything we've just read. He tells him what he's going to do. He tells him what's going to happen. He gives him three verses of instructions on what Noah has to build. That was day one. But the next verse is just one verse that tells us the next 120 years of Noah's life. So we get all that information in one day, and then we get one verse that describes the next 120 years. And here's what it said. We've read it once already. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. If there's anybody in the word of God that deserves a medal for consistency, it's Noah. 120 years of just living out this obedience, of just building, of preparing. That's a long project. But Noah stayed faithful. He was obedient to the word of God. How did he do it? I mean, how do we even wrap our minds around where that begins? How does a person hear God speak to them and then walk out that obedience for 120 years? I'll tell you how. One step at a time. 120 years of obedience was too much for Noah to wrap his head around. But what he could do on day two was go into the woodshed and pick up an axe, put it on his shoulder, and walk out into the forest and chop a tree. See, sometimes here's what we do. We get so overwhelmed by the scope of what we think God wants for us, we don't ever pick up the axe. We got to just chop some wood, church. We got to just do what God told us to do. We got to do the things that we know he wants us to do today. We got to just start chopping some wood. It's like the old African proverb, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> One bite at a time. Just chop some wood. I remember the first couple of weeks that I was working here at the church. Nobody else worked here, so it was pretty quiet. And, and I just remember walking around the building and, and, and praying and, and dreaming and and I had a legal pad with me. And within several days, I mean, the first legal pad was filling up. I had all these ideas and, and I had all these dreams, but I got to be honest, it could have pretty quickly become overwhelming because there was so much that I could see that I felt like needed to be done and so many things to do. That I don't remember what day it was, but at some point, I just sensed the Holy Spirit telling me to put it down. I just turned my list over. I took my Bible and I, I just set it right on top of that list of all the stuff that I thought needed to be done. And I just said, speak, Lord. What do you want me to do? And, and in that moment, God just gave me clarity like a moral compass. God just gave me a word of clarity. He said, preach the word. Preach the word. There's a lot of things you can do. I mean, there's bookshelves full on, on church growth and, and church government and structure and, and leadership books are a dime a dozen. But what am I supposed to do? Chop some wood, son. Don't worry about year 119. Don't worry about year five. Don't worry about day four. Chop some wood. If you're going to do what I've called you to do, you're going to need to be faithful today with the resources that you have. 
And in that one simple word, God just began to clarify my focus. And God spoke to me. He said, if you'll be focused on the main thing, I'll take care of the other stuff. You just make sure that a week doesn't go by that you're not ready to preach the word. God wants to speak to you about the resources that you have in your hands. See, we usually overestimate what we can accomplish in a day, and we way underestimate what we can do in a year, right? Oftentimes, we overestimate what we can do in one year, but we devalue what we can accomplish in 10 years. And if we would just be faithful today in the small stuff, if we would just do what we know to do today, God would honor our faithfulness. Here's the reality for you and me both. We are not going to accomplish everything that God has for us to do this week. We're not going to get it all done. It's not going to happen. But you got to figure out what's most important. you got to be committed to do it to the best of your ability to say, God, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. God wants to speak a word to some of us today about daily obedience, about just say, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to live any more woulda, shoulda, coulda lifestyle. I, I'm going to just stay in the day. I'm going to give this day back to God. I'm going to just be faithful with what God's given me. I'm not going to hear some message and go, oh, when I get here, I'll do that. No, that's for the birds. Forget that. What do you want me to do today? God's calling you to start chopping some wood. Now, who knows how big or how grand his project for your life is going to be, but you've got to be obedient each and every day. You start with the resources that you have. Last, uh, the last series we preached, the last message I preached, I talked about being on mission every day with your money. Being on mission with your money. And listen, the reality is you can't climb out from under a mountain of debt in a day. But, but you can start chopping some wood. I mean, you can become an expert coupon clipper, right? I mean, you, you, can, you can set a budget. You can... You sell that expensive car that you're making payments on and, and buy one that you don't have to make payments on. You can do some things. You can't do everything, but you can do some things. And if we'll be purposeful with the resources and the opportunities that God has given us, he'll take us to where he wants us to go. Don't undervalue the resources you have. I'm not talking about just your finances. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your relationships. I'm talking about your time. See, the reality is this. If Noah is going to build an ark of safety to that size and that scale, how many of you know it's going to take a lot of trees? And without powered equipment, probably not a good idea to want to drag those trees too far. So I would think in pretty short time, all the trees around the ark were gone. So I, I just believe that on day one, Noah had two pieces of equipment. He had an axe and he had a pocket full of seeds. See, if this project's going to take 120 years, I'm going to grow some stuff right now that's going to help me finish it in the future. And you've got some resources right now that you're undervaluing you because it's not a mighty oak and it doesn't compare to somebody else's tree, but it's a seed. And if you'll be faithful to sow the seeds, God will meet your needs to fulfill his purpose in your life. You got to walk out. You got to just sow seeds. You never stop sowing every day. I'm going to chop some trees. I'm going to sow some seeds. I'm going to work today, but I'm going to plan for the future. I'm going to make this thing happen with the resources that God has given me. 
See, Noah was planting seeds because he, he wasn't just trying to preserve his own life. Did you know Noah was 500 years old before he had kids? So when God comes and says, I'm going to destroy the earth, he could have just sat back on the front porch, sipping iced tea like Kermit the Frog and be like, see ya. <laughs> right? Been a good life. Noah's motivation was that his vision was bigger than his lifetime. You need to get a vision that's bigger than your lifetime. He was sowing seeds because he wanted to save his children's children's children. In Genesis chapter 6, we didn't read this far back, but at the beginning it says that God, God limited man's lifetime, his lifespan, to 120 years. But Noah was born in chapter 5, so he made the cut. He's an old man. Imagine if he would have been like people today, though. I mean, Noah's moving towards retirement years. You know, he's in the 500s. He could have just said, well, Mrs. Noah, it's been a good run. It was fun while it lasted. Man, let's just sit back and watch this place burn. You know, it would have been a lot easier on his old bones to not get up early in the morning and go out and work all day. It would have been a lot easier for him to just kind of relax a little bit. Take it easy. Take the, the time that he deserved. But every day... Every day he got up, every day he made a little bit of progress on the purpose that God had for his life. I love, I love the seniors in our church. I love that once a month, uh, the staff, we get to join our seniors at the Senior Connection Lunch. That was this last Tuesday. So grateful for Larry and Jolene leading that ministry. Man, praise God. I'm, I'm going to tell you why it blesses me besides the food. That's the, that's the icing on the cake that Joanne usually makes. But what blesses me is that when I sit around the table with that group of men and women, there's still faith in their eyes. There's still faith in their conversations. They're still believing God for things. They're still bought in to the vision of this church. The, the conversation doesn't always turn back to the good old days. Now, thank God for those, and I love the stories, but how many of you know it can be dangerous when your memories are greater than your vision? See, when your memories are, are greater than your vision, you're afraid to chop down your trees. They mean too much to you. I mean, can you just go with me in your mind? I can imagine what it would have been like for, for Noah and Mrs. Noah to be married with no kids for 500 years. I mean, no doubt they had long walks through the woods. No doubt. He was obviously a woodworker. No doubt he carved her name in a few trees. And I just wonder if there came a moment when he stood in front of one of those special trees with his ax in his hand. I just wonder if there was a moment when he had to decide, do I care more about the future than I do about my past? What's going to be greater, my memories or my dreams? And I love when I get together with our seniors because they're still, well, they want to see what God's going to do next. They still believe that God's got greater things in store for the church. There's something more that God wants to do. And Noah, 
He refused to get stuck in his past. See, if we do that, if we just get comfortable, if we just sit back and we just enjoy what was, then what God intended to be our resources will become our relics. And instead of a hospital for the hurting, the church becomes a museum for the saints. I love what God has done in this church in the five and a half years that I've been a part of it. But you know what I love more? I love the next generation. I love the next generation. Because God has given me a vision that's bigger than my lifetime. And so there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a laying down. There has to be a a, a giving of, of preference to purpose. Noah obeyed God's command. He built this huge ark and he filled it with every kind of animal and he placed his own family inside. Now, finally, I want to talk to you thirdly about Noah's message. Noah's message was simple. It's going to rain. It's what God told me. It's going to rain. Rain, what's rain? Well, the sky is going to open and water is just going to pour out. Okay, Noah. In fact, he told me it's going to rain so much, the whole earth is going to flood. And, and I'm going to build this boat so that when it does, I float. And, and I'm going to survive. And I'm taking all the animals with me. And food. And you can come too if you want. No, I don't think so, Noah. I'm going to let you go on your own on that one. It's going to rain. He didn't preach that message one Sunday. He preached it every day for 120 years. An illustrated sermon. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And man, what are you doing with all of our trees? I'm telling you, it's going to rain. God told me to build an ark of safety because the only people that are going to be saved on the whole face of the earth are the people that get in the ark of safety. It's going to rain. And Noah kept preaching for over 100 years and not a single convert. I got to be honest. I don't think I could preach for 10 years if I didn't have a single convert. I I would start thinking, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Like, man, I don't need people to run to the altar every Sunday, but come on. I mean, if, if if nobody ever gets saved and you preach, you need a new sermon. Noah had one bullet. He preached the same sermon because it's the one God gave him. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And can I just say, a lot can happen in 120 years. I mean, can you imagine if if you heard somebody say something was going to happen for all of your lifetime and it never did? How many of you know it would be hard to believe that? If somebody just kept saying something's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and it never happened, it'd be hard to keep believing it. I mean, would you wake up every day still filled with purpose and prepared for that coming reality? Well, I know it's hard, but you ought to be able to say yes, because that is the reality of the church. Can I tell you today, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. See, some of you, you've heard that message, not quite 120 years, but we're getting close Some of you have heard it for not just years, but for decades. 
Jesus is coming back and you've lived your whole life with this anticipation of his arrival and it hasn't happened yet. But you still have the responsibility. We have the responsibility to live every day in preparation, in an expectation for the coming of the Lord. He's coming back. Paul, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. He says in verse, or chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's good news for the church. When Paul wrote that, he just assumed that it was going to happen in his lifetime. That's why he said, we who are alive and remain. He just assumed the people he was writing to was not going to see death. He didn't live his life looking for the undertaker. He lived his life looking for the upper taker. He thought he was going in the rapture. And we ought to live that way. He said, we can rejoice in this. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Do you know what the message of the church is today in 2019? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. In other words, the judgment of God is going to come. I know it hasn't happened yet, but it is going to happen. I know you haven't seen it yet, but it will happen. I know preachers who lived and died before me said the same thing, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means we don't live as long anymore. It's going to rain. Jesus said it explicitly in Matthew chapter 24. This is our Lord speaking. Verse 37. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That was a title that he used for himself. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the very day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That, hear the words of Jesus this morning, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So 40 days after Jesus resurrected from the grave on Easter Sunday, he gave his disciples what we call the Great Commission. He commissioned them to go out to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Luke records that moment in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And after Jesus had given this commission, it says this, Acts 1, verse 9. After he had said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Can you imagine that? They're all watching Jesus. He's ascending up into heaven. Before long, the cloud's moving. He's gone. Where'd he go? And while they're all looking in the sky, two men dressed in white, two angels appear. And they're standing beside the disciples. And they said these words, verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven 
will come back in the same way that you have seen him go to heaven. He's coming back. And when he does, the storm clouds are going to open up. It's going to rain again. And in Noah's day, that day finally came. A message that fell on deaf ears suddenly mattered. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? I mean, it, it, did, it wasn't just a shower. I mean, geysers exploding out of the earth. Water coming up, coming down, coming sideways. Torrential downpour. Can you imagine what this day must have looked like? Can I promise you it doesn't look like the cute little Noah's Ark pictures that we put in our nurseries? I mean, those make great coloring sheets. I mean, I wouldn't want to give the kids a, a more real one, but how many of you know it didn't look like that? You know, happy little giraffe floating and <laughs> elephant, the sun shining, and Noah and Mrs. Noah are smiling. This was a stark reality. You know, we call it Noah's Ark, but it's not. It's God's Ark. This is God's ark because the ark represents Christ. And it's a very clear depiction in the Bible that those that are in the ark, those that are in Christ are going to be saved when judgment comes. Those that are not in the ark are not going to be saved. It's a very clear illustration. The ark represents Jesus and Jesus is God's plan of salvation for our generation. He is our message. He is the word. You've got to be inside the ark, if you're going to be saved on the day of judgment. This wasn't Noah's ark. It was God's. That's why it didn't have a rudder. Noah didn't need to steer it. It was God's ark. He was the captain of this vessel. So Noah just obeys the Lord. He lives in obedience, and he stays committed to the message. Even when no one's listening, he stayed committed to the word of God. And the Bible says about him in, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, it says, the Lord shut him in. Hear those words today. This is the reality of our salvation. The Lord shut him in. Noah didn't have to batten down the hatches. He didn't have to pull the door shut. He just had to do what God said do and be where God said to be. And on the day the judgment came, him and his family were saved. The Lord shut him in. And can you imagine what it must have been like one moment after that door closed? The next sound that you hear is just the pitter-patter of rain bouncing off the gopher wood. And I don't know if they could hear through those thick walls or not, but sure enough, on that day, people started making their way to the ark. Sure is getting dark out here. And I can just imagine as the water began to rise, up above their sandals and up to their ankles and, and up to their knees that people started banging on the outside of that ark saying, Noah, 
open the door. Noah, let us in. There's nothing Noah can do. He didn't shut the door. God shut the door. God sets the appointed times. There's nothing he can do now. I, I preached the message. I, I, shared, I shared the truth, but you didn't listen. And pretty soon, their, their angry shouts turned into desperate screams. They're saying, Noah, just take the kids. I mean, just save my children, Noah. If you won't let us in, just let the kids in. I'm going to tell you the reality of salvation is that when the door is shut, the opportunity is over. It's over. There's no praying for the deceased. There's no purgatory that you can climb your way out of. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. And when the door closes, there's no more opportunities for salvation. That's the message that Noah preached. It's going to rain. And I want to say today on this Sunday morning that today is the day of salvation. Because the door is going to close again. You know what? When it does, I, I'm sure of this. I'm sure the day after Jesus comes for his church, there are going to be a lot of people that show up at this church. I hope there's nobody left that has a key. <laughs> but they'll find a way in. And when they do, they're going to learn something. That being in the church doesn't make you safe. That Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the door. And when Jesus comes and takes his church, the door is closed. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. We don't know when he's coming. But our message is not a message of gloom and doom today. Don't, don't misinterpret what I'm telling you. This is, not, this is not a message of gloom and doom because God has communicated a different word to us. He told Noah that the judgment's coming and the earth's going to be destroyed. But today, the door is still open. The, day, the door is open for anyone. He's not slow in keeping his promises. He hasn't forgotten about what he said. Jesus didn't forget about us. He's not up in heaven just, just doing his own thing. No, the Bible says in this verse that he is waiting because his heart is that none would perish. His heart is that none would be left outside. And after God had delivered Noah through that storm. He made a covenant with him. He made a covenant with him by putting a rainbow in the sky. And he told Noah, every time you see the rainbow after the rain, let it be a reminder of God's grace. It's a reminder that God's grace is greater than sin. It's a reminder that I, I'm never going to judge the whole earth in this capacity again. That rainbow is a reminder that, that God is gracious, that he wants to save you, that he wants to deliver you, that, that 
He doesn't want you to have the punishment that you deserve. I want to pray today for every Christian in this room that God would speak to our hearts about living an unforgettable life. A a life that that is not a product of the culture, but a profit to the culture. Before I pray for each and every one of us, I want to ask you to bow your head with me and close your eyes because I want to make an invitation to those of you today that maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You found your way into this service today. I believe by the leading of the Holy Spirit. I believe today is God's appointed time for you. That he had me preach this message and had you show up on this Sunday. The questions you've asked in your heart recently, God knows about those. The uncertainty that you felt, God knows about that. And today, I am declaring to you, not out of fear, but to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. I am declaring to you, it is going to rain. No man is guaranteed tomorrow, the Bible says. The rain that comes in your life could be a sudden car crash. Doesn't have to be a flood. Could be a drunk driver takes you out tomorrow. I don't know what your story looks like, but I know God's word is true. It is going to rain. For each and every one of us, we are appointed once to die and then the judgment. And that quick, that quick, whether you see it coming or not, your eyes close and then they're open. And you're standing before the throne of God. If you don't know him today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come to him today. Please, come to him today. Surrender your life to him. Jesus said it so clearly, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, no woman, no teenager, comes to the Father except through me. There is one door, one. And those inside that door will be saved. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, you need to surrender your heart to him today. Right now, without any hesitation, I want to ask you to slip your hand up in the air. Just raise your hand up high and say, that's me. I hear God speaking to my life today. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else with these two that would just say, today, this is me. God, I'm trusting you with my life today. I'm trusting you with my life. With every head bowed, every eye is closed, I want to pray a prayer. And if you just raise your hand, maybe you you didn't, but you needed to. Listen, God is looking at your heart. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to make a public profession of your faith. But right now, I want to challenge you to make a profession of your faith to Jesus. 
Can we all just pray this prayer to him out loud? Come on, believe it from your heart. Say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to be the ark of my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Because you live, I know I'll live. I receive your spirit in my life. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, today I give you my life. some of you you just prayed that prayer you need to know what's happening right now in the spirit God is God is forming you he's shaping you the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ they're a new creation this is a moment of new birth it's a moment of new birth for you for some of you you this is a restart So you need to know today, before you become paralyzed in fear by the scope of what it looks like to live a godly, righteous, blameless Christian life, before you let your mind run wild with that, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit a simple question. The same question that I ask in my office, what do you want me to do? Because no doubt, There's a tree you need to chop today. There's some things that you need to begin to do today in obedience to the Lord. Just ask him right now, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He'll teach you. He'll lead you day by day. Father, I pray right now for your church, God, that that we would be men and women of character, That, Lord, we would walk in full obedience to your word. Even if it means walking alone, God, we will honor your word. And, God, may we be men and women who are committed to your message. That we will hold on to this truth, God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word, God, is going to remain forever. So, Lord, we commit our hearts and our lives again to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand together today?